I've had two CMOs come to mind that I've had interactions with. One that I think would be very happy to not have comms under them anymore. And another that would be very unhappy about it. I think it depends on the type of CMO they are, where their focus is, how big their team is, what all they have on their plate, what they've done in the past. Because if there are marketing leaders that came up through touching comms or always owning PR or always having that under them, and that's like a little bit of a safety net for them, or if it's operating really well and there is a really good comms person in their seat and they're like, that's my rock star on my team. I want to keep them there. Hi, and welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president at Blast Media, and I will be both your host and bartender today. I am speaking with Grace Williams, who is the SVP at Blast Media, which is our agency. Once a year, I do chat with someone from Blast Media, and Grace and I are talking today about the rise of the chief communications officer and tackling where it should live. And she makes the case for removing comms from marketing to have it serve as its own corporate functions. Hot take. So grab a drink and join me as I chat with Grace from Blast Media. Grace, welcome to SAS Have Full. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you on. Grace is with Blast Media. About once a year, we have someone from Blast Media come on the show, and we're having Grace because she recently wrote a piece for PR Daily titled, Why 2023 is the Year of the Chief Communications Officer, and it popped off. So many shares, so many comments all over the place. So figured you all want to hear about this topic. So here we are. But it is 10 a.m. on a Monday. And as Grace knows, I always stay true to this process. I'm drinking. I don't expect you to necessarily join me for a drink, but are, are you joining me for a beverage of any sort? You know what, Lindsay? I'm joining you for a coffee and a water, but I do love that you stay true to the process. Here I am. Never had this before. So decoy is a wine. So I've had that. But this is a decoy seltzer rosé with black cherry. It's respectable. It's only a eight-ounce can. So, you know, we're doing this thing. All right, Grace, so before we dive into our topic, if you could give our listeners a little bit of background info on you. We've been blessed with your talents for many years at Blast Media. But if you could just talk through how you came to Blast and, and what your role is today at the agency, that would be helpful. Right now, I'm our Senior Vice President of PR, but obviously have not always held the same job. I've been at the agency for coming up on 10 years, believe it or not, which is crazy. It was my first actual full-time job out of college in 2013, and I came up through the ranks. So I actually started on our social media team back in the day when we had a full-scale social media team, working for some consumer products at the time, um, and quickly learned the media relations side of things and grew to love that very much and have been... Um, held about every role that you could think of, regardless of what the title was at the time, could have been AE, senior AE director, and so on and so forth. So now what I've been doing for quite a while is overseeing just the success of all of our accounts. So making sure that across the board, we're setting the right OKRs, meeting our OKRs, that our clients are happy, getting feedback from our clients, remediating when necessary, working with a lot of our data. We log all of our coverage and I, I pull that coverage and look through it to try and determine any trends in the media landscape and adjust with our directors and VPs accordingly. Awesome. And Grace is a natural communicator. Even when you started with us almost 10 years ago, she's one of those people who, even if she's frustrated or tensions are high or has to give feedback, 
you're always just cool as a cucumber. You've always been one of the best at delivering feedback to clients and to people. So I feel like you're someone who can speak really intelligently on this topic. The rise of corporate comms and just how important it is has never been more clear than in, I'm just going to even say the last three years. But what prompted you to get your opinion out there talking about corporate comms and the rise of or need for a chief communications officer? Just what inspired that? Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned that there was some reaction to this article when it was first shared, and there certainly was. And some of the first reactions were along the lines of, we've been saying this for years. And I was thinking, no, we haven't been saying this for years. It feels somewhat new. But actually, I have a friend that works for a tech company in communications, and she does not report into marketing. And so it came organically from conversations with her and talking about what the benefits are of where she sits in the organization and the different things that she's able to see. And then looking across our client roster and thinking about what the title of the individuals are that we're working with and where they sit in the org and who our best relationships are with and how communications has changed specifically in the last three years and wanting to put together some predictions. And so this was originally one of the predictions that we posted on our Blast Media blog and then we turned it into its whole own thing. And when thinking about too specifically what we've seen with our roles, we execute media relations, thought leadership and PR, but we have been tapped strategically in such a different way over the last three years even as an agency. So when we're taking another step removed, you have your in-house team and then you have your external vendors and just what we've been relied upon from a overall communication strategy to give guidance on internal messages that we all know can maybe turn external. So our world's been pretty crazy. So where does corporate comms typically live? And then what do you see as either the problem or a potential benefit of that? Yeah. I was talking a little bit earlier about the titles of the people that we're working with. Um, that's one way for me to look at it. And we do a client survey every year and ask people, make sure we know what their title is and where they sit and where their budget is coming from, all of those things we ask for. And so generally the answer to that is marketing, but it is sometimes specifically there's a corporate marketing budget. And Interestingly enough, a couple of our clients, a good chunk of them, their budget's coming from content marketing specifically. So we're oftentimes working with a content person. I would say over the last three years, we've seen more and more of the titles of the individuals that we're working with actually be like a PR title or a communications title. But even then, their boss is probably a VP of marketing or a CMO or potentially even sometimes a CRO. And so I guess in terms of where there are problems with that, marketers have a lot on their plate, right? They're responsible for ABM, pipeline, advertising, design, content, customer marketing, product marketing, all of it. And oftentimes they also oversee BDRs as well. So like a sales team where they're writing emails for sales teams. So how could we expect them to also have time for and oversee communications? And I think some of where we butt head sometimes with either a demand driven CMO or potentially a CRO, if that's who we're reporting into, is their short-term gains type of people, right? Because they have to be. They're contributing to pipeline. That's their number one thing that is the most important to them. But ultimately, a lot of the things that we're working on as communications people are a little bit more long-term. And you're not going to see the results of after three, six months in terms of massive impact on pipeline, there will be results, yes. And so I think maybe just butting heads on priorities and what those outcomes are looking like. I mean, there's a reason that the CMO role, that tenure keeps getting shorter and shorter. I mean, this is my opinion. I think it is the most difficult role in the C-suite, and I would even say more difficult than a CEO job. And I've talked to former CMOs who are now CEOs who share the same, not that being a CEO isn't difficult, 
but the challenges are different. But that tenure shorter and shorter because that role, it sucks. I mean, it just really fucking sucks with how much you're responsible for and to your point of all these short-term gains. And the interesting thing about comms here in the last three years is there is this long-term right brand perception and you know building that that brand long-term but there's also been so many world and u.s social events that happen that require a quick turnaround and a response and one that's thoughtful and honest and making sure that anything that's internal might be seen as external there's been this even more of a short-term need on the comm side and if you can't get your stuff together to formulate something that hits the mark, you're kind of screwed. And we've seen this play out. So to me, they're getting more out of alignment, marketing and corp comms. Talk to us about specifically what you see driving this here more recently. Yeah. Does the term doing more with less ring a bell for you? Have you heard that recently? I have. Yeah. Okay. Well, it is doing more with less, Lindsay. We're hearing it from all of the marketers that we work with. And it's just due to the increased focus on demand given the macroeconomic environment. I think if you jump back to 2020, 2021, VCs were pouring a bunch of money into tech companies. That's certainly still happening, maybe not at the volume that it was happening back then. Valuations are down, so our investments in tech. There's less money to go around, which means there are less staff to go around as well. And so everyone's doing more with less and marketers are very focused right now as they should be on driving demand. And so I think that sort of heyday 2020, 2021, where there was a lot of time, there were a lot of resources to invest into different parts of the business. And now we're like, okay, let's really make sure that we have our pipeline stable and we're growing at a steady rate and we're going to be a sustainable business is a little bit like, let's not deal with that calm stuff over there. That's not going to give us the results that we want to see right away. And so I think when you have, you mentioned the word strategic and that definitely rings a bell with me. And I feel like if you don't have a comms leader that is a senior leader, you are not getting much comms strategy at all. You might be getting comms output if there is someone that is like at a communications coordinator role or level or even a managerial level that's sitting in marketing, they're still being bossed around or pushed around by the marketing leader that says, hey, go write this customer comms. Hey, go write this press release. You're not going to get someone that's able to A, deliver something that's actually strategic and on point and able to secure the approvals needed to get it out in a timely fashion. One of the comments on your article, somebody said, oh, whatever his name was. So you're saying you would rather have a great reputation be broke than be rolling in money and not have the best reputation. It's not an either or. You were never going to say you should do brand only and not demand gen. Similarly, you should not say all demand gen, no brand. So that to me is just the wrong approach and is why we are where we are. Yeah. And I also think it's tension on both sides, right? Because there are multiple types of marketing leaders, right? You could be a marketing leader that's very focused on brand, or you could be one that's very focused on demand. I think right now we're seeing more and more that are focused on demand. There's frustrations on their side too, when they're working with comms people that are on their team that maybe they don't feel like that's a fit for their team and they don't want to prioritize that person's projects. And that's not bringing results to the table that they want to see. And also think about the comms person in that situation. You have this marketing leader who is probably saying, look at our person that's leading ABM, look at our person that's leading pipeline and what they're doing for the business. And all of your projects just get pushed to the side or not highlight or anything like that. There's tension on the team as well. And obviously high performing teams are going to have people that are working together very well. And so there's just not a fit there all of the time. I'm not saying that it can never be there, but yeah, you never want to have either 
or you always want to have both. And I think that there are ways that communications can support more areas of the business than just marketing. We don't have to be only writing comms for customers. We are also supporting HR in a rollout of a new HRIS or potentially a new way to request your time off. Or maybe we're helping the CEO write a weekly note, or maybe we're reviewing their board deck before they go to present to the board. There's lots of ways that communications can be supporting more functions than just marketing, and they should be. And that's where the limited point of view sits. And it's not even necessarily intentionally, but there's such a narrow view of communications, mm -hmm. you know, corporate communications. And so it's not really seeing the need for if I'm a chief communications officer, what am I doing and who's reporting to me? So talk through what you would see under a chief communications officer. Yeah. So it's interesting, like... When you think about your finance team, they're supporting all functions of the business, right? They're tracking tools that marketing is buying. They're working with sales teams on new contracts and things like that. They're working with all areas of the business. And so why shouldn't comms be the same? Why shouldn't comms support the sales team, the HR team, the marketing team all at once? So certainly supporting your employer brand and recruiting and things like that. Supporting sales team to help celebrate big wins inside the entire organization. Still supporting marketing, highlighting customers. Customer marketing is still going to be huge. And then a lot of executive communications and executive communications are going to be both external and internal. I mentioned it could be a weekly note from the CEO. It could be helping them with, say they're going on stage and they're going to speak at a conference, helping them with their talk track, helping them with their deck. Maybe they're chatting with an analyst upcoming. Maybe they do have a media interview and we need to prep them on talking points. And so I would say that external communications piece and the executive communications piece is certainly growing in importance to an organization. People, whether that be your investors, your partners, and specifically your employees, want to hear from the leaders of your organization. And those leaders certainly need help in making sure their messages are on point. So you're seeing under a chief communications officer, or to say internal comms? Certainly. Internal comms, external comms, or you could say media relations, analyst relations. You could have someone that was specific to employer brand. That would probably be where I would start. Yeah. And for our listeners, all shapes and sizes of companies, when would be the right timing? Obviously, you have to be at a certain point and have a C-suite and a built-out one to have a chief communications officer. When would you recommend hiring your first dedicated comms role? I mean, early on. I don't think there would be a time that I could think of that would be too early to have a dedicated comms person. If you are building and you are growing quickly and you are at the point where you are talking to investors and trying to build awareness, I can't think that it would be too soon to have someone dedicated to comms. And, and specifically someone who's working directly with a CEO or founder on helping them build that brand. Mm -hmm. And even if there's not a fully built out marketing team, there's enough social impact events happening in this world that you can't not have a voice. And if you're going to have one, you certainly need to make sure that it's going to hit and going to resonate. We've seen it go pretty bad. Talk through a couple recent examples where, in hindsight, it's like, wow, this would really make the case to have someone who maybe doesn't send a marketing to work directly with the C-suite. Yeah. No, it's a good point. And that comes back to also hiring a comms leader that maybe has some experience under their belt, maybe is not just the most junior person that you can find that's semi-good at writing a press release. Because when you do have an executive that is 
bouncing ideas off of a comms person. They're saying, hey, put together some messaging for me in relation to this world event that's happening for our employees. You want someone that has maybe seen some things. And so it just comes back to hiring a senior level person or someone that's going to be able to get the approvals that they need. One thing that comes to mind specifically in talking about blurring the lines between internal and external communications, our favorite guy, Elon Musk, when he took over Twitter, he sent out that infamous email back in November where he was saying to all Twitter employees, you're going to be back in the office. I'm taking a Way your work from home forever policy. And not only are you going to be there, you're going to be there more than 40 hours a week. And if you need any kind of accommodations, you're going to have to speak with me directly. That was an internal employee email that went out, which there's no such thing anymore as communications that are just going to stay internal, especially in the era of social media and screenshots and how quickly things can be shared. They're going to be shared and they're going to be shared with reporters. And especially if you're someone as big as Twitter and as divisive as Elon Musk can be at times, they're going to get shared with reporters that maybe don't have your best interests at heart. That's one example that comes to mind. Maybe Elon has a little bit of the Kanye can't be managed factor happening, but we know that there are some tech CEOs that are also that way. And so being able to have a comms person that's going to stand up to you and say, hey, no, this is X, Y, and Z points of how they're going to, this email is going to be received and where you should adjust that messaging because eventually this is going to probably more likely than not make its way outside of our organization. Now, is every single one of those opportunities going to be as big and dramatic as Elon Musk and internal email Twitter? Probably not, but an effect on any employee is important and should be considered. Yeah. If you're interviewing for a job and a CEO or founder says he or she does not need any help or guidance, run from that. I mean, the Elon Musk example is like, no, nah, I'm good. And then it creates a shit storm. You're like, bro, ah, right? If you just would have listened, definitely be wary of that. The other more recent thing that comes to mind is Silicon Valley Bank. Their comms team went under fire a bit. I mean, no one's going to say that this was the fault of comms, but there's definitely been some shade thrown at how that all unraveled. What are your thoughts and takes on that? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. There's so many pieces to it, right? There's the actual financial stability of the bank and their losses that they took that had to do with it. Comms is certainly a part of it. And then the run on the bank, you could maybe blame on the VCs or tech companies themselves. But there is a comms influencer, the chief communications officer of Activision Blizzard that has a great thread on this on Twitter. And we've been passing these kind of things around the office for the past has it been a week, two weeks since that happened? But as far as my perspective on that is they just really didn't consider communications at all is what it seems like. The bank took on losses as interest rates rose. There was really poor timing on a press release they put out that happened to be the same day that Silvergate collapsed. And the press release they did put out, I saw somebody on LinkedIn said it looked like ChatGPT wrote it. It was just finance words that nobody really is going to take the time to understand. Didn't make sense. All we saw is that you lost... billion and you're looking to raise $2 billion. That seems really scary. And where conversations are happening these days is on social media, is on Twitter. All the VCs are on there. They're all chatting, saying, what's going on? Are you getting your money? Am I getting my money? Are we going to be able to get our money? And then they tell their port posts to pull their funds. And then that causes a run. So the only thing they did was have a call the next day, I think at 2.30, where the CEO of the bank told people to stay calm, which usually works so well when you tell people to stay calm. <laughs> if you just calm down. Yeah, they don't calm down. And so there was like, I think a 22 hour wait between when they put out that release 
And when the CEO said anything to anyone about what was going on, there was no media interview set up ahead of time to quell any fears. They were so deeply entrenched in the tech community. They had so many allies they could have relied on to help them get this message out and get it right. Because banks raise money, right? This happens. It's not a crazy thing. But they put out a press release on a really bad day. They didn't consider at all how it was going to be perceived. And they waited almost an entire day to say anything when they knew pretty much everyone was freaking out. Yeah, seemingly a lot of missteps. I do also on the other side of it, I mean, just being comms professionals is we've all had the client or been in the situation where you're not getting any information and you're only as good as the information that you're getting. So there is a chance that that the comms team was handed the shit sandwich and there was no one saying, don't issue this release, right? For all we know, they're saying, oh, yeah, put, yeah, we're good. Put this release out where it's good. And then all of a sudden the comms team's like, are, are you kidding me? So you can only make decisions based on the information that you have. And ultimately, you're reporting to the CEO or to the board or whoever it is that is giving you your directives. But it is clear that comms was a miss. I don't want to blame the comms team, you know. No, you're right. There's also SEC regulations that I'm not an expert on, but they had to put out a release. And I don't know if they were up against a time frame of we were at our four-day, they had to put it out right then, or if they had room and could have waited. There's a lot behind the scenes that we don't know, obviously. And so, yeah, there, there's a lot going on there. And I'm sure there is a comms person that's thinking, I told them not to do this. Right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's a lesson. And if they don't have a chief communications officer, then that definitely makes the case for it. I do feel like comms was being unfairly blamed a bit. And I like what you said is that comms wasn't a consideration, not that, you know, their whole comms team should be fired because, again, we're only as good as the information that we're yeah. given. Communications people are very retrospective and we're always looking to improve and learn things. And so for us, we're like, OK, what can we learn? Whereas maybe the other components of the puzzle, whether those were VCs, tech CEOs, or bankers have maybe bigger egos and don't always want to sit down and say, what did we get wrong here? So maybe that's why we're seeing like a little bit more of a focus on that. I want to go back to something you said earlier, which is there are a lot of very demand-focused CMOs that are be being driven to do more with less. Is it your sense that removing comms from marketing would be a welcome change for high-level marketers? A yes and no. I've had two CMOs come to mind that I've had interactions with, one that I think would be very happy to not have comms under them anymore, and another that would be very unhappy about it. I think it depends on the type of CMO they are, where their focus is, how big their team is, what all they have on their plate, what they've done in the past, because if there are marketing leaders that came up through touching comms or always owning PR or always having that under them, and that's like a little bit of a safety net for them, or if it's operating really well and there is a really good comms person in their seat and they're like, that's my rock star on my team. I want to keep them there. Um, but I, I've certainly met marketers and dealt with CMOs on the other end of the spectrum where they've literally said, I don't want comms under me. Yeah, it does make it more difficult for those CMOs in a sense because they're constantly having to fight for the brand budget, justify the brand budget. So to me, it, it would also create less friction for us 
because oftentimes we're in a situation where even if we're working with an SVP of marketing or CMO who really believes in brand, they're having to really communicate that up the chain to maybe a CEO or founder who does not. So they're getting caught in the middle, even if they're a big, you know, champion of ours. So to remove that, and to your point, Grace, we could talk all day about how PR impacts the overall funnel and all of that. But my opinion is everyone should just stop trying to measure brand. Like any good marketer knows that there is like 30% of your budget that drives no direct ROI. But if you remove it, everything else suffers. We should just accept it and move on. So I would love to be pulled out of that short-term ROI-driven framework and be seen as this strategic partner who's helping shape your perception and your reputation because you really can't measure that. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely know when we're working with a marketing leader that you can see the squeeze being put on them by the CEO and everything that they're asking for from us, you know why they're asking for it because they're taking it to their CEO or whoever we need approval from. And that person is saying, why this? What's this going to do for me? How's it going to drive demand? And we spend a lot of time helping to educate our clients on why certain media opportunities are worthwhile and why they should move forward with them and what they're going to do for them eventually. But the clients that you feel like they're not, they don't have that squeeze on them and they're just, they're measuring things when not down to the nickel and dime level. We're more successful because we get things approved more quickly. They take more opportunities. They have more at-bats. They end up getting more coverage. We're able to move more quickly when we're not reporting so heavily and having to justify every single opportunity, which again, we're happy to do and we understand why it's important. But things move a lot more quickly when they're not coming up through that marketing leader that has that demand squeeze on them. I would love to do a CMO survey. Maybe I'll ask it in that CMO coffee talk group. If comms was removed from you, how would that make you feel? Well, Grace, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to make sure that we tackle today as it relates to this topic? You just have me thinking more about how comms can support a sales team and can drive demand. So that's also top of mind for me. But I don't think anything else like in this category specifically. <laughs> awesome. Well, as I ask all of my guests to end our episode, I ask if they have a favorite or signature toast to send us out. Okay. I don't do it all the time. It's not necessarily a favorite, but one that comes to mind way back when I was in college, I studied abroad in Spain. And so we did the classic Arriba, Abajo, Al Centro, Al Dentro. Up, down. Cheers, basically in the middle and then drink. Drink. Got it. My decoy seltzer, two stars, would not recommend. I don't love it. It's definitely ro yeah, rosang heavy. So this is me giving my review. I'm sorry, decoy. It's, it's not my favorite. Maybe because it's just 10 a.m. on a Monday and nothing is really going to land at this point. It was there and I've been putting off trying it. And well, you know, as the kids would say, mid. Thanks again to Grace for joining me on SAS Half Full. It's always great to talk to one of my colleagues, could talk to her for a long time about this topic. It is obviously near and dear to our hearts. Really curious what you all think in terms of how you would feel if communications was removed from you or the marketing function. And for those of you who have listened to the very end of this episode, thank you so much. We have a new segment called One More Drink, where I ask all of our guests the same question, which is... What do you wish more CEOs understood about marketing? And here's Grace's answer. That so you can't turn it on and off like a faucet. Love that. I've used that before of like, can we just turn it on and then turn it back on? I'm like, nope, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. And until next time, bottoms up.